0: What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their. Have you gotten Rommel yet? Welcome into the Go Balls 24 7 podcast. I am Ben McKee and I am joined by Wes Rucker on this edition of the Go Balls 24 7 podcast, a Wednesday morning edition. Well, it's Wednesday morning when we are recording. If you are listening to this as early as you can, it's early Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we apologize for not getting you a Monday podcast. We at Govals 24-7 simply did not do a good enough job in producing one on Monday, but West and I have convened by the interwebs to uh, briefly recap Monday's typical recap of, of Tennessee football's win over the weekend over Kentucky, and then Wes and I are going to talk some Tennessee basketball on the back end of this as well, because uh, Tennessee basketball had a statement win on Sunday in East Lansing, Michigan, even if it was just an exhibition. Uh, And then late last night on Halloween, Tennessee beats Lenore Ryan uh, to complete a sweep of its two exhibition contests. So uh, busy time of year, jam-packed podcast, and Wes – I know you're excited to to break down everything going on.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it's been a lot. It's been a lot going on, and yeah, we we've uh, we had a lot going on the past couple of days. Still, no excuses. Just weren't able to to get it done. So, apologies for that. But here we are, and uh, got a lot of fun stuff to discuss. Got stuff in two sports. Right? What's better than one sport? Two sports.
0: That's right. And you even have a third this Sunday playing another exhibition in Tennessee baseball. They'll make their way over to uh, Nashville on Sunday afternoon to play at the sound stadium against Sanford in their second and final fall exhibition. I will be on hand for that. And and I know Wes and I teased a baseball podcast recently, Uh, football basketball been very busy. So we'll probably be early next week before uh, we get that baseball podcast to you recapping uh, most of the fall at that point in general, they will still have their fall world series. That is the weekend of Missouri, the Missouri football game and Tennessee basketball playing Wisconsin that Friday night, the day before the Missouri game. Uh, so don't know that we're going to be able to get out and, and go cover the fall World Series, but we'll have been at most of these scrimmages this fall and, and both exhibitions and uh, do need to churn out a podcast and we will do that at some point But before we get to basketball and baseball at some point. Wesley, uh, Tennessee football picked up a very, very important win on Saturday night In Lexington. And I don't think I'm going too far as to say that was a season saving win. And they did so on the back of the program that Josh Heupel has built because of his culture that he has established and the leadership that he has cultivated.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, that if you're a Tennessee fan of a certain age, really any age, you you begin to sort of take certain things for granted. And, you know, wins over Kentucky. Kentucky's won a couple times in the past decade, so maybe you don't completely take it for granted. But that that has become a very much not, not a historical match of equals, but sort of a temporary at least match of equals and they are two teams that are very um very evenly matched I I would say more often than not Tennessee's had the better roster this season included but it's not by such a wide margin that you can assume anything especially on the road and 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 Tennessee's had some some flaws we all know them and and Kentucky has improved as a program so that's become a very um you know difficult game in a lot of ways especially you know up in Lexington and and Tennessee it was not easy uh, it it wasn't ever really going to be easy you know Tennessee got out there a little hot early on and so you maybe you think hey maybe this is going to you know kind of uh, bring up bring back the old days and just kind of wear them out up there it never really felt like it was going to go that way it felt like Kentucky was going to start punching back at some point and it did um, but i think it's important to note that the Tennessee never lost the lead in that game you know it's Ben I don't think Tennessee ever really had like complete control of it like a like a Vulcan death grip over it or anything I don't think that but but I do think that they kind of they they never they never got out of sorts really they never lost control um, Kentucky had a chance to take the lead on a 53yard field goal. But it, it didn't obviously go the way you know it, it went. It went wide left, and then Tennessee was able to get another score. I thought it was a, a nice win for Tennessee. Uh, it, it, it was the kind of thing I, I think season saving for now is, is is a good way to put it, or kind of season stabilizing, or or you know kind of I don't know what exactly the right word is in, in, that I can think of, but it was a big win, and it it's one that that salvage the possibility of this being a decent season.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I I know you agree with what I'm about to say, but even more than just a decent season, because there's still so much to play for, Mm -hmm. not not necessarily make the college football playoffs, but there is still an outside chance of of you making it to Atlanta. You would need to to play your best football in, in the month of November, and you would need some things to fall your way. But that is still on the line because you beat Kentucky, and also we talked about this last week with Ryan Callahan going into the football game. If if you lose to Kentucky after you, like obviously, just generally speaking, it's it's not ideal for a Tennessee football coach to lose to Kentucky. Yes. But on add losing to Kentucky on top of how the Florida game went and how the Alabama game went, and um, it it, it would have been an uncomfortable off season and not in the sense of, Hey, Josh Heupel's on the hot seat. I I don't at all mean to infer that, but just fans would be very, very irritated and irritable throughout the off season. If you lost those three games And, and that's even before you get to a tough game at Missouri and turn around and face Georgia at home as well. So you're probably looking at eight and four or seven and five at that point and a very uncomfortable off season because fans are are irritable and rightfully so with how you lost some of those games so that that's kind of why i I think it was season saving um because you you have still for now at least avoided an uncomfortable off season and and you still have a chance to to have a, a mostly successful season at minimum uh technically, you could still go eight and four, but hey if if you can at minimum, find a way to split Missouri and Georgia and you go into a bowl game at nine and three with a chance to win your 10th in a bowl game for the second straight season that that's an accomplishment that 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 really is that that is that is something that fans should not take for granted and I don't think that they will uh, even if there were frustrating moments throughout the course of the season so uh, there's still a lot to play for and, and Josh Heupel's teams—they they tend to get better over the course of the season, and boy, could they really use playing their best football this month, West? Because Tennessee fans need to be Missouri fans th- this weekend—not not just because they hate Georgia in general, but because if if Missouri beats Georgia, then Tennessee—if if it wins its next two football games after UConn this weekend, it's going to Atlanta assuming that you don't just completely bomb out against Vanderbilt the final weekend of the regular season. But if Missouri can knock off Georgia this weekend, and what's a fascinating football game, in my opinion, then that Tennessee-Missouri game is essentially with the SEC East on the line. And then it would really be on the line if you can knock off Missouri in, in inside of Neyland Stadium when you have – uh, yourself would be two losses, but Georgia would be one loss, and if you can hand Georgia that second loss, you would own the tiebreaker, and you would get to go to Atlanta. Yeah, it, it is,
1: and, and I agree with all that. I want to go back just one second before that because I, I think the important, and an important thing about last week too, on top of all that, and I don't think things like this should get lost in the shuffle either, is that Tennessee one week after going on the road – and losing to a rival, kind of falling apart so badly in the second half, immediately had to had to fly back home, prepare, then go right back on a bus, go up to Lexington, go back on the road, go back to another hostile environment just a week later. and a team that had never, its past four games have been a disaster on the road, finds a way to salvage and, and, and piece the thing together and play well on the road and win a football game. And, and that that is, that's not easy. I mean, they'd lost four consecutive true kind of difficult road games, right? I'm not calling last year at Vanderbilt. That's not I mean, that is what it is. But the last four like kind of losable road games had, had had been lost or and had not been very pretty. And and so I think that that, that was big to go stabilize the thing and go win. Um that, that was really big. And then going forward, yeah, if if you know, you start putting things together, and, and when you lose a couple games, you need help. That that is what it is. But if Mizzou can find a way this weekend, then yeah, I mean that 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 puts Tennessee's fate right back in Tennessee's hands in in, in some ways. And and so, yeah, I I, I think that. Regardless, it was just so important because you, you find yourself in different season, kind of at hinge points or, or fulcrum points or, or fork in the road points, and they're going to go one way or the other, right? And it went the correct way, and that really shouldn't shock us with the way Hypo's done things with that program, but it absolutely was not a given that that was going to happen, and I, I don't think it's – I don't think it's – you know, intellectually honest to sit here in hindsight and pretend that just, just because we all picked that to be a win, just because we thought it might be a win, that doesn't mean that like, oh, ho-hum, it's just a win and move on. Like, no, like you, you got to tip your cap sometimes. Like that that was a difficult environment, not the most difficult, but sold out you know fair amount of orange but still blue the rivalry game on the road still blue dominant yeah and so yeah i think that that was big and and, and i'm not saying to, to 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 crown them or anything but you know give them some flowers that was that was pretty nice that was that was a good performance and now it sets up a situation where hey it, it even if even if things don't go your way outside of you know this week outside of Georgia Mizzou even if things don't go the way where you're still in the hunt, technically going into the final couple weeks of the season, now firmly within Tennessee's control is is the possibility of a of a solid season with another solid bowl game on the end of it, and that is something that I mean, right now if if Tennessee, you're thinking even if you just went out, even if you even if you lose to Georgia, you you, you go nine and three, like you're still. Punchers chance on the fringe there of of, of a big of a fairly good bowl game, depending on how other things shake out. Like you are you're doing things that good programs do, which is even in a season when you're not your best, you're rolling out there with like nine wins. And that is absolutely nothing to scoff at. By the end of the Philip Fulmer era, seasons like the one this one could be had been taken for granted they had they've been taken for granted and and we saw after that what happens so i think this whole you've you've mentioned this several times ben this whole championship or bust mentality it's a cycle that's kind of hard to get yourself out of when you get into it but it, it's it's for your own well-being like there's a there's a healthy spot here between you know championship or bust and then, like the mentality Dabo Swinney's trying to push right now at Clemson, like, bro, people get off the bandwagon, you know, yada yada yada, you know, going at fans, back going back at fans, and I'm um, i posting on a uh, weekly calling shows. Like, there's a level between that and like, you know, and and then being naive and 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 championship and bust and all that stuff. Like, you can good programs are supposed to go out there and win, like eight, nine games when they're having a down year or they're having a not-their-best year. Tennessee doing something like that would be an accomplishment. Like, they're not going to schedule a parade or anything, but that's what you would want your program to do. When you're cycling between kind of real championship pushes, you want to go out there and win eight, nine, you know, games. That's what you want to do. And to go do that... It, it, that's never going to erase the frustration of that loss at Florida, which never should have happened, but it happened. It happened. And so from there, where do you go? And Tennessee, if it can keep this thing on the rails has done a pretty solid job.
0: In, in terms of the win over Kentucky, the, the minutia, the, the X's and O's, I, I thought it was really cool how this program has reached a point to where it can win in different ways. And, and you know, the old adage that, Good teams always find a way to win, and uh, Tennessee football has become a good program that finds ways to win football games, and it will obviously continue to build. Uh, Obviously, Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley would have liked for the offense to be more efficient and more productive up until this point in the season, Uh, and the defense has taken a big step this season, but I'm sure there's still areas where Tim Banks and his staff want to continue to get better continue to develop guys, continue to develop depth, add talent. Um, but I, I do think it was – I think it's really cool how Tennessee's football program has become a program, a good one that finds different ways to win. A couple of weeks ago against AM, it was the defense picking up the offense. And against Kentucky, it was the offense picking up the defense. And I, I thought the story of the game was Joe Milton and, and the passing game getting going. I, I thought Joe Milton played – as good of a football game as he has played in a Tennessee uniform, uh, just making all the right decisions, showing great awareness, making great throws, using his legs in the running game, getting Tennessee in the right situations in the running game. He was just really, really efficient, playing great, great football. Uh, and it also helps the helps the quarterback out w- when Tennessee can run the ball the way that it did. Uh, Jalen Wright there in the first half exploding – Uh, showing the NFL back potential that he is, uh, and then dealing with a a lower body injury there uh, in the second half. That, That wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things, is not a big deal going forward in the grand scheme of things. But when you have the depth and the talent that Tennessee has at the running back position, if a guy is nicked up just a little bit like Jalen Wright was to start the second half, you can lean on Jabari Small and Dylan Sampson uh, and allow them to finish the game and not risk further injury, and that's what happened. And Dylan Sampson was awesome, as Jalen Wright was there in the first half.
1: Yeah, I think there there was a couple moments in that game that were that were plays that that Joe Milton in the past probably doesn't make. I'm thinking of that scramble to his left, and then he hits uh, Thornton for like that big play there. Uh, that was a big one. I think he, late in the first half, he scrambles to his right and kind of on kind of a, I'd, I'd call it kind of a scramble drill in breaker is what it looked like when he hit um, Squirrel White for that big play to set up the field goal um, opportunity there late in the half. I think that was a really big play. Um, and then I think maybe, maybe the play of the game from Milton, I thought was, On Tennessee's final touchdown drive there, that play when he hit Dylan Sampson on that kind of hot route to pick up that blitz on third and long, uh, and that was, I think, the 17-yard gain right before the field goal. I'm trying to think. I got it in my play-by-play here. I believe that was a – yeah, that was a third and 10, and they kind of brought – you know, they did a real kind of a nice play design for a hot route there was to bring kind of Samson over across a little bit and then kind of that square kind of in or whatever that that route was. and but he just put that thing right on the money, right in stride and without flinching against pressure. Just boom, just a really nice pass. And then Samson picked up the seventeen yards for the first down. And that kind of play, the awareness, delivering the ball in stride to a guy giving him space to ro- to to roam and get momentum and get the first down that was like that was an NFL type play and i don't mean like that joe milton isn't uh, for sure locked down nfl quarterback that's not that's not at all what i'm saying here i think at best right now he's like a 5th round pick 4th round pick at best right now because of his ability and because of his pure physical potential but my point was To face pressure like that and to automatically know exactly where your release valve is and to put the ball on that release valve without flinching and to get it right there for a first down, like that kind of play is a business-like NFL move. That's what it was. And that is not the kind of move that Joe Milton makes at different points of his Tennessee career. Full stop. It's not. It's just not something that he's picking up that quickly and putting it right where it needs to be. He has matured into his role a great deal, and I hope people have enough objectivity left with him to understand that. Because he has – it's it's listen, it's, it's later than anybody wanted, Ben. It is. It's later than anybody wanted it to be. But that doesn't mean that that, that you can be so frustrated with it that you fail to acknowledge that it that it's there, right? Like he'll have tougher challenges, obviously, Georgia, you know, yada, yada. We all know that. And we'll see how that goes. But he has improved. He has made some plays that he didn't used to make. And I I think you have to acknowledge that. I do. I think you have to say, hey man, you know, it took you a little longer than you than people wanted, but hey, you're you're starting to see it.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing for Joe, kind of building off of that, Wes, is that there's still an opportunity for him to go out and rewrite the narrative to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, his story, when it's told, there will always be a mention of how long it did take for him to get to this point and and the inconsistencies and, and how frustrating he was at times, but... Man, if, if he could go out there and play like – if he if he plays like he did in the first half against Bama, and we, we talked about it at the time, I still don't believe that the second half at Alabama was was him playing poorly. I, I thought it was the circumstances and elements that surrounded him that that kind of let him down in that game. But if he can play like he did just generally speaking on the road at Alabama and then also like he did at Kentucky and give Tennessee a great chance to beat Missouri on the road – and come back home and beat Georgia, if he were able to pull off those two wins, then that that somewhat rewrites his entire story. Especially if you beat Georgia, who is the the cream of the crop right now. They've won how many games in a row? They haven't lost in like 3 years. Yeah. The, it feels like it feels back. like
1: 120.
0: Yes, it does. It, it it feels forever ago since they lost. If he could pull off that win and lead Tennessee to another double-digit win season, then although it's been frustrating at times, that's still still a pretty strong legacy and a pretty strong career, especially when you consider how it started. So there's still a lot left for Joe to play for, no doubt about that. Uh, Last thing offensively before we touch on the defense real quick and and hit a break is the receivers, they, they seem to be really starting to improve. Uh, chaz nimrod makes a great play jason swain did a great job of of breaking down on on his twitter on tuesday evening uh, at some point on tuesday Uh, maybe it was monday i don't know my days are running together earlier this week swain went on twitter his twitter and and discussed what chaz nimrod did so well to beat that kentucky defensive back because for us non-football players it's it's like, okay, you recognize that he did something to put a move on the Kentucky receiver and or the Kentucky DB, and then the DB fell down, but Swain lists it out and, and does a great job of of showing what Chaz Nimrod did so well. And these young receivers are starting to play better and better each week. And, and man, if they if they can continue to elevate their game throughout this stretch run, along with Dante Thornton, obviously be more comfortable on the outside. Offensive coordinator Joey Hosley talked about that on Tuesday. I mean, that, that that it's no coincidence that Joe's play is elevating and Joe is playing better as the receivers have elevated their game as well. They're finally starting to help out their quarterback and you're starting to see the benefits of that. So if the passing game as a whole can continue to climb in the way that they are, that I mean, they have a great chance at, at coming back home after that trip to Missouri and, and potentially beating Georgia. So I, I thought that Kentucky game was a very, very nice stepping stone for that receiver unit.
1: Yeah, it was, and I think that's something else to remember with, with with Milton is that he's done a lot of this without you know his best receiver. I think that's. Listen, you're 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 talking about you know removing a couple starters from the offensive line after last season. You're talking about he didn't have his center for the first four games this season. He hasn't had you know uh, his right tackle for parts of a few games this season. And, you know, the past three games, ever since Tennessee has lost Brew McCoy, there's been a different starter in his place in all three games. There's been a different guy out there in that spot all three games. And and they've had to do some different things around him. And, hey, that that's not an easy thing for any quarterback to deal with. It's it's just not. And so I think you have to credit. First off, I think you credit the receivers for, for the improvements they've made in some ways. And I think you credit Milton for kind of, Getting the getting the process done. I mean, it's like you remember Dylan Sampson talking out to the game, saying, "Listen, I say the same thing about Joe today that I've said all year. He'll do anything for this team to win." And 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 they love Joe, and, and mo- mo- for the most part, I think they do. I think that's true. And so, I I think the receivers. Um, it's nice that that Thornton is playing in a position now where he feels more comfortable. I, I think it maybe would have been nicer to make that move a little bit earlier. Um, in hindsight, obviously, and we said that at the time, in fairness, like, hey, why not look at him out there a little bit? You know, get your best guys out there. He's eating healthy. That that helps. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's good to see him get out in space and make some plays. And Squirrel White's obviously doing the things that he does. Keaton, I thought, made a couple really nice plays in that game. Again, he's kind of – when you Keaton's at his best when you kind of forget that he's there. When you kind of forget that Romel Keaton's there and you don't put – for some reason you don't put like – pressure on him in terms of expectations he starts to impress you again it's like just just don't ever start thinking that he's the man ever because if let him let him fly into the radar that's where he belongs that's where he shines in a lot of ways and then yeah I mean I think Nimrod and those guys they they've come along Caleb Webb had a couple of nice blocks in that game and did a couple of nice things uh, Nimrod dusted the corner on that play just absolutely leveraged him and dusted him I mean, and and you know, the guy fell down, but he was beaten well before he fell down. He just he it was kind fell down
0: because of what Nimrod did to him.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like uh, that happened to it happened. Actually, if you remember, something sort of similar happened to Danico Slaughter early in the season when he kind of got dusted and fell down, and it's because he kind of got twisted up by the receiver. And so it's kind of a not the exact same thing, but kind of a similar thing there. So yeah, that's that's nice, and I'll forever laugh at Nimrod's eyes getting to be the size of like. Coconuts when the ball was up there, when the ball was up there, he was so wide open, and you could see in the pictures he's like, his eyes are the size of the sun when he's when he's got that ball right there getting ready to go to his hands. We got a good picture of it there on the website, and um, but he made the play. You know, he made the play. And sometimes when you're that open and you're in the end zone, it's not. Quite as simple as it is uh, on other moments, you know, you're thinking about a lot of things. You've never had a college touchdown. Hey, he he caught the ball. He he, he did the thing. So, yeah, I, I it's every all of that stuff becomes easier for an offense when you can run the ball the way Tennessee can run it because you force defenses to have to you know not just respect that, but you command their attention with the way you run the football. You're you're rolling off what six seven yards of pop, whatever it was in that game for a lot of it. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to have space on the back end.
0: But you still got to capitalize, and they did. Defensively, Wes, I, I do think it was somewhat of a disappointing performance, particularly with the secondary. Because I, I, I even, if you could tell in my sentence, I, I hesitated because Ray Davis is a future NFL running back, the SEC's best running back this season. He was running on practically everybody and Tennessee shut him down. T- Tennessee absolutely shut him down. He was not able to get going. So I I'm, I'm not trying to discredit the defense for for doing that because that that was terrific. They they did a great job of shutting down Ray Davis. But there were certainly some pass plays given up that you looking looking ahead to Missouri, Brady Cook and and, and Luther Burden uh, I think it's Theo Weiss, the, the Oklahoma transfer, and, and they've got some other guys that can catch the ball as well. Uh, that that, that kind of makes you raise your eyebrow with that particular matchup there between Tennessee and Missouri. Uh, and, and I do think there is something to what Tim Banks said on Tuesday. Uh, he, he did not seem to to care too much or, or care as much as maybe the public has w- with how many yards they they gave up through the air uh, because he, he just – I'm paraphrasing, but he flat out said, like, we sold out to stop the run, and we did that, and we were able to walk out with with a win. And I'm sure, look, he's gone back, and and they're going to go over the big explosive pass plays, and he's just not completely ignoring that. But he was content because they accomplished their goal, and they did so by stopping the run. And I do think there is something to be said for that. And, Wes, I also think there's an element that not enough people – are talking about because Kentucky's passing game ha- has been inconsistent throughout the course of the season. Like Devin Leary is a very talented quarterback who it just hasn't clicked for him at Kentucky. And Barry on Brown and Dane key. If, if they can stay out of their own way, they're NFL receivers. So there is like an element to Kentucky's personnel at that position being better than Tennessee's personnel in the secondary, especially without Kamal Haddon and Danico Slaughter still not playing to to his potential because of the toe injury that, that has slowed him down this year. Like, I do think there's an element to that as well of on the perimeter, Kentucky's personnel offensively is better than Tennessee's personnel. I, I do think that that was an aspect, but as you do look forward to Missouri and those weapons I just mentioned Georgia. We'll see if Brock Bowers is is back by then, uh, but even Brock Bowers aside, they they went out and got Xavier Leggett from Missouri, Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, uh, Lad McConkey. He he's still there, dicing everybody up like Hunter Riffero did at Clemson. Like Georgia has some weapons as as well, and Carson Beck can push the ball down the field. I think better than people people realize or give him credit for because of the personnel that surrounds him. Like that's something that that it's gonna have to be a little more cleaner going forward in order to complement what Tennessee is doing up front in the trenches.
1: Yeah, I understand why Tim Banks said what he said. I still don't think you can just excuse that that performance in in pass defense. Like you ought to be able to somewhat contain a really good running game. Without just completely being porous against the pass, and and Tennessee let Leary get hot, and I do agree that there's talent in that Kentucky pass game, but you kind of one of my big things in life, and, and this is not just in not just in sports, but in life, is that you kind of you are who you are until you prove you're not, and uh, Kentucky had not proved that, that those components together. Were a really dynamic pass game until the Tennessee game. So you want to give credit where it's due to Kentucky, but you also want to say mm, Tennessee, you let that happen. You did. You let that happen, Tennessee. It's what happened, and it's all tied together in the pass defense. the The secondary was 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 not good. There, you know, kind of some alignment issues, being too far off, guys, giving too much space, some of that other stuff, and then on top of that. Uh, the pass rush just did not get there. It just did not get there. The pass rush two weeks in a row. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. They've been held, okay? They've been held quite a bit, and it hadn't been called. I don't have an answer for why. I just know that's the truth. And, and, and still, though, you should you should get back there more than you have. They got to get back there again. They got to start getting home on those pass rushes. And it's not like Kentucky was just getting rid of, rid of the ball as soon as. You know, Leary got it. Like there were some sort of deeper drops in that game, and Kentucky was able to sustain, get some shots, you know, down the field a little bit. And they, Tennessee's got to get that cleaned up because I tell you, burden in that in that crew, they'll dust you. They they will. Lad McConkey, he'll he'll precision route you and get behind you and just beat you to death. He will. And and so, you know, the the tight ends. You know, even if Bowers doesn't play, Georgia's got some tight ends that can play ball. The Kentucky obviously had some tight ends who could play ball, you know, a couple of them. But the, there's things there that you can say, okay, yes, you did settle down the run. You did contain the run. You did what you wanted to in that way. And your red zone defense was not terrible. Kentucky's touchdown, uh, Davis' only touchdown, there was a blatant hold on the perimeter that doesn't get called, That should have been second and goal from the 18 instead of a touchdown. That was not – I mean, how that – you had the shoulder pads extended that high up and and the jersey pulled that and you you couldn't see that. The entire Tennessee sideline saw it and immediately lost their minds because they're like, we all saw that. We all saw what just happened. And this was before replay. Like, they all saw just live what happened. And so you wonder how, like, six officials or whatever missed that. But – Regardless, they've got to get home on the pass rush. they got to get that cleaned up, and they've got to find better solutions on the back end. And they tried different combinations. To give them credit, they tried. It's not like they just let it happen. They they put three or four different combinations out there at corner, and other than Gabe Judy Lally, who I think played an underrated, decent game, he graded out pretty well, actually. Uh, gave up one frustrating third and long. But other than that, he was decent. Four targets all night, two completions. Um, but the rest of the guys, they got to play better, Ben. They just they got to play better, and the pass rush has got to get home.
0: No doubt about that. And, you know, they, they did good enough to beat that Kentucky offense. But the two offenses coming up after UConn is much better than Kentucky's. Uh, Missouri, they, they have a ton of skill. Uh, and we mentioned the receivers earlier. Cody Schrader, their running back, is one of the best backs in the league. Uh, once again, it seems like Tennessee faces a top-notch running back every single week. I mean that—that's life in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following week, we, we know Georgia may not have that Todd Gurley or or, or Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, but you you know they're still going to have adequate backs, and uh, they they have a ton of skill position players as well. So uh, the defense was was good enough. It was great against the run, and overall, it was good enough to to knock off that uh, Kentucky offense with the help of the offense, Tennessee's offense, taking pressure off of them as well, and, and that's something that will also have to continue. Tennessee's offense can't have a Texas A&M-type performance against Missouri or Georgia and just think that Tennessee's defense is just going to shut those offenses out and, and that be good enough to win the game. Tennessee's going to have to score some points, maybe, maybe not in the 40s or 50s like last season, but they're going to have to flirt with 30, I think, in both of these next two SEC games in order to win those. So defense was good enough, but obviously they, they do need to 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 get back to maybe where they were. Uh, and I, I do think there's something to be said of, of trying to figure out life without Kamal Haddon as well. That I think that's something that they're still trying to adjust to, even if they are veterans, like that. That's still something that you became reliant upon, and it's it's still a big loss that you have to to work through uh, until you are able to do so. I I think simply I said this on the Swain event Tuesday morning with Jason Swain that that they just need more consistency from their veterans, and I'm not talking about Gabe, Judy, Lowley necessarily. Uh, and I understand why Danico Slaughter hasn't necessarily met expectations this season because he's been slowed down by that toe injury. And Swain made a great point that he was concerned about Slaughter going into that Kentucky that Kentucky game because it, it was on a turf field and he had a toe injury. And, and, and those two combinations don't usually mesh well uh, together. But I'm talking about the likes of Brandon Turnage. Can, can, can you step up and, and be a little more productive, Me be a, a little more reliable? Uh, and then Warren Burrell, like th- those two guys need to step up and they, they don't have to become Kamal Haddon, but can you be quality depth that when you're thrown into the game, you're not looking around like you don't know where to be or you, you don't look confused out there. So uh, if this secondary is is going to replace the loss of Haddon, I, I think those next tier of guys after Gabe Judy Lally and Danico Slaughter are going to need to step up. Uh, it, it was a big, big win for Tennessee, no doubt about that. And uh, Tennessee faces UConn this weekend. Uh, Wes, Ryan, and Patrick will be back with a Thursday podcast. Uh, Tennessee basketball has practice during our typical Thursday recording time, but there will be another football podcast on Thursday afternoon uh, to preview this weekend's homecoming against UConn. That will be on the SEC Network at noon on Saturday uh, but Wes and I are going to transition to some basketball here on the Go Balls Twenty Four Seven Podcast because, as I said earlier, Chelsea Basketball made a statement on Sunday in East Lansing, and we're going to talk about that statement following this break. Money! welcome back! Welcome back! Welcome back! Welcome back into the Go Balls Twenty Four Seven Podcast, a unique Wednesday edition of the podcast between myself hump, McKee, day. And hump day hump <laughs> day that's right hump day and that is Wes rucker acknowledging hump day the best day of the week because it because it, it, it's today we're, we're not promised tomorrow so today is the best day of the week until tomorrow arrives and tomorrow will be the best day of the week just just wrapped up putting a bow on tennessee's win over kentucky and uh, going to transition to some Tennessee basketball. But before we do that, would like to take a moment to encourage you to go like rate and review the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, that would greatly help us. And I will add as Wes always does. If you have a Tennessee fan in your life, let them know about the go 24 seven podcast. If you see somebody out and about rocking a power T, let them know about the go 24 seven podcast that has helped us grow the podcast greatly over the last year or so. And that's another way that you can help us get this podcast out to you all on a weekly basis. Wes, as I mentioned, Sunday afternoon in East Lansing, Michigan was a statement by Tennessee basketball, even if it was just an exhibition. It was. And, you know, we
1: need to be honest here. And and we'll say, first off, I'll, I'll go back just one second and say, you're being way too optimistic for a day where it's like 35 degrees outside. Um, that that's good on you for having that 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 attitude about you, but I had to bring in like 15, 16 plants last night for the freeze warning, and uh, did not enjoy that. Um, you know, my wife's not going to be happy because now the inside of the house is a full forest and she is not going to love that for the winter, but Hey, my babies aren't dying. I'll tell you that much. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it sucks when it's cold, but yeah, speaking of cold Lansing, Michigan, uh, Tennessee. It was a year ago that Tennessee goes out there and, and puts it on Gonzaga. And then everybody goes, Hmm. And then we saw what happened, right? So that's there. That thought is there in your mind. and, Tennessee, unfortunately, as a basketball program is at a point now where basically no matter what the hell it does during the season, people are going to have in the back of their minds, oh my God, what's going to happen in the postseason? What's going to happen? How's this going to go wrong? But get there, cross that bridge when you get to it. Right now, Tennessee has put together a roster that looks to be the deepest one that there has been in the Rick Barnes era. There are options on this team. There are lineup combinations on this team for them to be able to go out there without two starters in the backcourt who are all sec players to go to Michigan state in a really, really hostile arena. I mean, that had a regular season vibe to it. It did. It had like a big regular season conference game vibe to it. People kept seeing a March vibe. Well, a March vibe is not dominated by one team's fans. Like it, it, it was a, it was a conference road game kind of feel to me. And, uh, Tennessee went out there and won the game and did it without a true point guard, did it without two All-SEC guards, goes out there and never never falls behind, right? It got a little squirrely there at the end, and there was a three-pointer that tied the game and shouldn't have happened, and it did. But Tennessee went down there, got a call, fortunately, for, its, for itself on the other end, and and won the game. And, you know, there were so many things in that game that, and I think Tom Izzo made some really good points after the game, and one of them is, yeah, Tennessee didn't have Ziegler and Vescovy, but would they have played better than the way that Ganey and Connect played in that game? Those two were sensational. I mean, and Izzo said it before the game. He, he talked about how when you bring in some talented transfers, you have tape on them from their previous stops, but you don't have tape of them for how they're going to be used in the new offense and how they're going to attack you. And that can give you problems where even a good coach can't give a great scouting report on what to do. And it looked like Michigan State did not have a scouting report on what to do against those guys because they, they scored all over the place. And connect with maybe one of the best dunks you'll see in college basketball this season um, to get everybody juiced up a little bit on Malik Hall, put it right on his head. Uh, that, I mean, that's – you talk about an introduction, man. That's an introduction. Right, and that was on Big Ten Network, so even though it was on an NFL Sunday, it had probably had decent people watching it, and um, that that got some attention. And and it should that that was a that was a kind of a wow performance by a, a, a team that without those two seniors or I say seniors, Ziegler's a junior, but without those two veterans, that surprised me, Ben.
0: It it surprised me as, as well. I was not expecting Tennessee to win that game, that contest, exhibition, whatever you want to call it, on Sunday. I expected them to be competitive for sure uh, because you have a lot of talent on this roster. You you have a ton of depth. You should absolutely uh, be competitive in that contest. Uh, and, and, you know, Jordan Ganey, here's my thing. Jordan Ganey and Dalton Connect, Dalton scoring twenty eight and Jordan scoring twenty that was surprising. I didn't think that they would provide that much production right off the bat, but the way they impacted the game and their playmaking ability, their ability to score the basketball, that did not surprise me. Uh, the, those that that's what you've been hearing about Dalton Connect behind the scenes is how he's able to put the ball in the bucket. And and with Jordan Ganey, everybody thinks he's just a three-point shooter. He's not just a three-point shooter. I thought he He,
1: was just a three-point shooter. If I'm being totally honest, Ben, I thought that was mostly what he was going to
0: do. I think everybody thought that because they saw his shooting numbers at USC Upstate. But then you get into that Italy trip where they played three exhibition games. And and I know it was just Italy and, and weren't even playing college basketball teams, but... Like you could, you could see, you could, you could get a glimpse of the playmaking ability that he has. Uh, he he is just all over the place at all times, shooting the basketball uh, from three, mid range, getting to the rim, and again the playmaking ability, his ability to simply pass the basketball. Uh, he tied for, no, he led the team, led Tennessee in assists against Michigan State with six. It tied a a game high by either team uh, and then last night against Lenore Ryan he tied for the team high and assists as as well he, he's really really productive in so many areas and uh, I, I think it's it's going to be really cool to see him play with Santiago vescovi uh, and see Santi be able be able to feed off of Jordan Ganey's ability to make plays and, and dish out the basketball and Then also, because he is so versatile, seeing Ganey play with Zakai as well and, and seeing Zakai be able to set up Jordan Ganey as a shooter and, and as a scorer. I, I think that's going to be really fun uh, to watch as as well. But th- those two were just mega, mega impressive in, in that basketball game. Uh, and, and again, for Tennessee to do that without Santiago Vescovi, which you knew you weren't going to have Zakai Ziegler, but then to not have Santiago Vescovi because he was back home in Uruguay tending to a family matter uh, his his grandmother um, I don't know how she's doing currently but she was very very ill as of uh, Thursday and, and Friday of of last week uh, he is returning back to campus today on Wednesday and he will be ready to go in the season opener on Monday night against Tennessee Tech uh, but you already knew you, you weren't gonna have Sakai but then to also kind of out of nowhere not be with with Santi and Respond the way that they did was was very impressive, and I just think that that exhibition is going to help them in so many ways moving forward. Uh, because it, it may be labeled as an exhibition, and it may not count in the win column, West, but it did not feel like an exhibition inside of that arena. It was packed, it was loud, it was intense. It felt like a late January. February down the stretch conference game big 10 game sec game it felt like a, a middle of of conference play top tier conference game it, it, and it and honestly it really did have a a march madness type of vibe to the game that that is not getting too crazy it it absolutely felt that way inside of the arena and for tennessee to handle that environment and not just the environment west the the two teams were mixing it up as well it was very competitive very very physical i mean they they were talking trash they were getting in each other's faces and they responded and and another aspect like tennessee jumps out to a big lead michigan state is able to to reel them in three-point lead at halftime for tennessee Uh, They come out and and make a run to start the second half. Then Michigan State goes on a run to cut it to a one-point game. Tennessee responds. Michigan State comes back to cut it to a one-point game again at the end and make it a real close game. And what does Tennessee do? They respond. So for them to respond in that element, and that type of, of competitive atmosphere, I, I think, really, really is going to bode well for them down the stretch.
1: Yeah, because when you think about that Michigan State program historically, what do you think of? You think of Izzo and March, obviously, and you think of just tough, feisty teams. You, you think about players, you know, not just Draymond, but of course Draymond being one of them. Um, over the years, they've had a bunch of them. They've had a, they're kind of blue-collar, lunch pail guys who get in your face, and they're physical, and they're combative. Right. Like Izzo's combative with his guys. His guys are combative with him. They're combative with the opponent. Like they are not, and I I don't mean this in a bad way. They are not the nicest group of guys to compete against. They're not. And that is the identity of their program that toughness, that sort of, you know, chip on the shoulder. You know, we're just, we're, we're, we're little old Michigan State. You know, that, that, that kind of mentality that they've, that they've got is, um, it makes them tough to play. It does. Even when in years where they're not great, they kind of build and they get better and better and better. And by the postseason, they're ready to go. And they are just a physical nasty group. And Tennessee went into kind of a lion, you know, kind of a, a, a lion's, you know, nest there or whatever you, whatever you call that, like a viper's nest and, and held on. And, and I think that was so, so big without those, without those veterans. To, to go do that because if I'm Tennessee, I'm honest now. If, if I'm Tennessee, I would find a charity every year as worthy as the Maui one was this season, and I would go play a road game like that. I would play it on the road 1,000%. I would play it on the road because you're not getting the home gate anyway. You're not getting anything out of it financially. You're just getting expenses paid to go somewhere and get – a free hit on the road in a game that doesn't count, but gets you road experience. So whether you win and build confidence that way, or you get your tail kicked and you learn a lesson, I would go play one of those every year. I would go, you know, Duke Gonzaga. I would go around the country, go to places where they're basketball crazy and they will sell out or come to close to selling out an arena for a preseason game. And I would find a charity and give it to that charity and go get that experience. I would do that every single season. I would do exactly what Tennessee's done in this preseason. I would go open with one of those games, and then I would come back home a few days later, and I would play a Division two team. That's exactly how I would handle it. I might do three days in between, not two, but that's exactly how I would handle it. Because I think you get so much out of that experience. And to go there and get that kind of lesson with zero risk involved – what more could you possibly ask for? What more could you possibly want um, and to go do that and to show that toughness and to win? Yeah, I mean that's 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 big, man. That's really, really big that 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 shows your team that hey, you can go get tested in a tough place and the big 10 a lot of times is the best or co-best conference in college basketball. It is a fantastic basketball league. It's got fantastic basketball players, fantastic basketball coaches, uh, fantastic tradition, um, and it dominates the sport some years. And and you got to – nobody in the SEC likes acknowledging that, but it's the truth. I mean, them in the Big 12, they're really, really good basketball leagues. Uh, and, and so, you know, probably better than the ACC most recent years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really good for Tennessee to go do that and to get a win and – to show some physical toughness, and to absorb a run, right? Think about how many times, Ben, we've talked about the football team this season. When things start to go against them, they don't sort of recover as quickly as they need to, uh, or they're just done for the day, depending on what game it is. Tennessee's, the basketball team, their first crack, they go out there and they run out and hide early, they're physical. They are. They're bullies. They they kind of took it to the bullies, hit them right in the nose in their backyard. You knew a punch was coming back. You knew at some point the crowd was going to get going and the team was going to get going and they were going to have Carr have a couple of just ridiculous dunks and, boy, he's impressive, and and go and punch you back. And they absorbed those punches and they won the game. What more can you ask for? In a preseason game, what more can you ask for?
0: The two questions that that I think have come out of the two exhibitions. Uh Tennessee beats Michigan State 89 to 88 on Sunday, uh, just a little over 48 hours later in Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. Uh Tennessee beats Lenore Ryan 90 to 48. Not not too much to take away from that game. A couple young guys got in and, and we can touch on that next before we get out of here. Um, but two two questions for me. That, that kind of pop in my head uh, at the conclusion of these two exhibitions, and, and they coincide with one another, is last year at this time, Tennessee went out to uh, Frisco, Texas and, and knocked off Gonzaga pretty impressively. And Tyree Key scored, what, 30, 31 points and, like that. and looked awesome. He, he looked like Dalton Connect and – Jordan Ganey in, in these two exhibitions. Well, uh, he, he
1: didn't throw it down like Kinect did, though.
0: No, he did not. But <laughs> in terms of production, he, he was as productive as as these two have been in, in this preseason, and it was not a sign of things to come for Tennessee. Uh, th- this time last year, we were kind of having this similar conversation of, okay, look at this Tyreek Key addition. Look what he's going to be able to do and, and unlock within the offense. So, I, I do think there's at least a, a little bit of a voice in the back of your head like, okay, let, let's wait and see what they do at Wisconsin, uh, not this coming Friday, but a week from Friday on November 10th. Uh, and, and then two weeks from there, Thanksgiving week, when they go out to Hawaii and Honolulu, and they're going to play Syracuse that Monday. And then they're going to play, I b- believe it's Purdue or Gonzaga on Tuesday. Let's let's see what the offense reevaluate where the offense is at after the Maui Invitational, Uh, because I I do think it's fair to have that wait and see approach because of, of what took place last year. Now, while that question, I think, is fair and presents itself, I will say and give my opinion that I don't at all believe that we are going to have a repeat or see a repeat of what happened last year because that second question that I I think coincides with questioning whether this is actually what Tennessee is going to be this season is that there is no doubt, Wes, that Rick Barnes upgraded, improved, whatever word you want to use, improved the offense this offseason. This offense is much better because they have depth, they have more talent, and they have so much more versatility and can pretty much, within the college basketball world, do whatever they want. So while I feel like it's it's fair to be in, in a wait-and-see approach and, and kind of wait-and-see how things play out offensively, I do think that this is a sign of things to come, unlike last season.
1: It is, and I think to go along with that, though, I think Rick himself has to understand that in in order to give, you you, you got to get, you know what I mean, in some ways. And so I think there are going to be times where this team is going to be much better offensively, and it won't be quite as dynamic defensively at times. And I think he's going to have to try to understand that, which we all know he won't because he's Rick Barnes. But but there there's when you play Connect and Ganey, you are not going to have the same defensive solidity and dominance that you're going to have with Ziegler and Vescovy out there. Because those are two, like, if you were to make an all-SEC defensive backcourt, you might have those two as your starters. Like, you you just might. I mean, Ziegler on the ball is, we all know what he does defensively, and Vescovy has improved as much defensively as any player ever has that I can remember throughout the course of his four-year career. He was not good at all defensively when he first got to Tennessee. He was very, very bad. And now he's pretty Damn good defensively. So yeah, I mean, you're not going to have quite the same defensive lineups out there at times, you know. And, and plus, Comal is a really good defender, and you know, you're 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 not going to be maybe as as consistently dominant in that area. But you're going to be good. But you're going to be offensively so much better. And I personally, I'm not the coach, duh. But I'm okay with that trade. Because you got to play defense to be competitive and to compete for championships. You also have to score the ball in this era. You have to score the ball. You have to on nights where you're not shooting it well, you gotta be able to get to the rim. You gotta be able to to do different things. And yeah, you'd like to minimize your poor shooting nights. And I think this team will have fewer just terrible shooting nights. I do think there's still questions about when shots aren't going in. Are they gonna get to the line enough? Are they gonna do different things? We're gonna have to they're gonna have to wait and see and prove that. But There is no doubt, and I think Barnes deserves credit for this, he saw what we all saw as a deficiency last season, and he he and his staff very, very quickly went out and addressed it. Very, very quickly. I mean, they went out and got boom, boom. A couple of the better guards out there on the market and really kind of bolstered their ability to shoot the basketball. And that is a big, big thing because – You know, you're not going to have a lineup of five lockdown or or five knockdown shooters, but you got to have more artillery on offense than Tennessee had last season if you want to go because there were so many games where just a couple more shots and and they're winning those games. And so, yeah, I think the struggle for Barnes is going to be accepting a team that might not be the best defensive team in the country, might be just pretty good, with a team that's much better offensively. That's something that I think Rick's going to have to wrestle with himself about. But I do think full credit, Ben, for realizing a problem and addressing it.
0: Yes, and and you know the question posed by you just now uh, about Rick sacrificing a, a little defense for for more offense that that has been a topic amongst Tennessee fans uh, and, and people who stop me and and ask about the basketball program. Like, is Rick really going to? Sacrifice some some defense for 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 more offense. The answer is no. He's not going to to sacrifice for more offense because the the difference is like as long as Dalton Connect is not out there being completely blown by every single time, and as long as he is not having mental lapses and he's just not where he needs to be. He's allowing a, a defensive coverage breakdown. As long as he is just not a complete liability, Rick's gonna leave him out there. Like there, there's a difference, right? Like obviously, Dalton Connect is not what Jemai Meshack is defensively. There, there aren't expectations placed on him to be Jamai Meshack. There are expectations for him to improve defensively and be better defensively. That that's why Dalton Connect came to Tennessee. When I spoke to him at the airport. After his official visit, one of the first things he mentioned to me about wanting – he had not committed at this time. I believe he was considering visiting Arkansas and North Carolina uh, before ultimately deciding to commit to Tennessee. One of the things, the first things that he mentioned that he said interested him in Tennessee is that he knows he needs to get better on defense Mm -hmm. if he wants to play at the next level. And that is why he came to Tennessee. Not to get better offensively, but to get better defensively. And he wants to be pushed on the defensive end by Rick Barnes. That is why he came to Tennessee, ultimately. Obviously, there were other factors as Mm -hmm. well that he enjoyed and and other things that he liked. But the primary thing was he knew he needs to get better defensively. And who else to get him more ready for the NBA defensively than Rick Barnes? So – like there's this this narrative that, that Rick's gonna get in the way of of Dalton and and I'm just not buying it. Like, will, will there be moments where is Rick Barnes more defensive centric focused than than other coaches? Absolutely, he he cares first and foremost about defense. Now I do think coaches widespread care more about defense and are more defensive minded than people recognize mm-hmm. um, because the the quickest way to piss off a basketball coach is is just. Getting blown by on the ball, yep. And I think as as long as he's not doing that, which he's not going to, you saw that against Michigan State. He, he's just he's not going to be a complete bust and liability on that end. If he was a complete bust and liability on that end, then I think we would we would really be approaching the conversation of how much are you willing to sacrifice. I just don't think he's going to be quote unquote bad enough defensively to to where it's going to have to be a like some hard decision for Rick.
1: Yeah, well, I hope Rick doesn't make it a hard decision for Rick. Was my concern was because, and I'm just honest. I heard him the way he was talking about Connect last night, and it just reminded me sometimes of the, some of the things that he would say about Tyreek Key at times last season. And you took a guy who was just an unbelievable lockdown shooter, and because of different situations, you had to kind of play him at point some, and you had to do some different things and. But I think that took away from the biggest strength that he had, which was his best ability to help that team. And I, I hope that things don't go down a similar road with Connect. Like, I don't want – you know, I, I, I don't want – don't clip his wings is all I'm saying. Don't clip his wings. Let, you know, develop his game. Push him, you know, from, from during practice. You do what you do, Rick Barnes. He came to play for you for a reason. But, like, when it is time to play games, let that bird fly. Let that guy go play offense. Let that guy go put up. He, you, you let that guy mess around. He'll get. A, he'll give you a forty point game this season. Let, let him go out there and just be the dominant offensive player he is. you got a lot of lockdown defensive players on that team. You got a lot of great defenders on that team. Uh, and he. I don't think he's always going to be as good defensively as he was against Michigan State. Granted, but he's going to be a decent defensive player. I just maybe I'm being too harsh because of I don't think harsh is the right word. Maybe I'm being too concerned because of things that have happened in the past. I just when you have a team that has some guys that have this much offensive talent, I just hope they get to show it. I hope I hope that it's not that it's not kind of you know a confident kid who's going to be the kid who's got clouded by doubt. So just go out there and be confident, and, and let let them be confident. I hope that's the case. I because I, I think he's a really special player.
0: I'm not at all concerned with Rick getting in the way of, of Dalton Connect. I, I would be surprised if if that becomes an issue. I, I think it's it's fair to to ask yeah. the question, and who knows? Maybe a month from now, two months from now, maybe in the thick of SEC play, I I, I look silly for for not being concerned, but I, I just. I don't believe Dalton is is that big of a liability defensively to to where Rick's going to have to make that type of of tough decision and and quite frankly well, if, I'm, if you I'm were, not
1: talking about not playing I'm talking about getting inside the kid's head is what I'm talking about I'm not talking about not playing him I'm talking about putting doubt in his head about what he needs to be doing out there on the court because what he needs to be doing is
0: freaking scoring the ball well he also needs to be stopping guys on the other end as as well you can't be only get the, just offensive. get in the way
1: just get in the way just get in the way.
0: Yes, but Dalton wants to be more than that, and I think he is. Rick has been harder on Dalton in practice than, than just about anybody for, for that particular reason, and uh, Dalton is somebody who takes that very, very well and wants Rick to be on him for that reason. I, I saw last week in practice Rick get after Dalton pretty hard after one play during a, a stoppage. And uh, as soon as Dalton turned around to walk back to, to the huddle, Rick was kind of off sitting to the side observing. And when Dalton walked away, Rick turned around and, and smiled to to somebody who was sitting next to him because he knows that Dalton's going to respond to that. And he, he knows, even though Dalton just got here, I think Rick understands that Dalton can take that. And, and he understands how to coach Dalton. And I Couple days later he goes out and plays great defensively against Michigan State while also scoring twenty-eight points. I, I I think the bigger question is is with a guy like Freddie DeLeon, who needs to be locked in more mm-hmm. mentally, and it is a guy that is a liability defensively right now. He he through two exhibitions even against Lenore Ryan seems to be struggling to know where he needs to be and keep his guy in front of him. That that's when that conversation with Dalton comes into place in my opinion I don't think we're going to see that from Dalton whereas I think it's going to become more of a conversation with Freddie because he he to this point has not really shown that he's not going to be a liability on the defensive end how much rope is Rick willing to give offensively to Freddie when Freddie's not giving rope back defensively I I think that's the bigger question and at at one point this offseason it looked like that that would be a huge concern for this team if Freddie's not able to to chip in offensively. But I I don't know that is that his offense is as needed now. In hindsight, when you look at the depth that that Tennessee basketball now has, his importance isn't. It, you still want Freddie to contribute, right? If if Tennessee's going to maximize its potential and and reach its potential this season, that involves Freddie DeLeon. I'm not trying to say that it, it that it doesn't, but I do think that they can overcome. Him maybe not producing as much as we anticipated because of what this this backcourt has now developed into with the addition of Ganey and and Connect. So it, it's something to keep an eye on. I'm not worried about Rick getting in the way of Dalton again. I know that's a a popular conversation amongst Tennessee basketball fans right now. I would be surprised if that becomes an issue.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I guess for me it's kind of just something that's like on notice. Like it's not something that I expect. It's just something that you see out there and, and and you go, Yeah, I don't want that to happen. Like I, you know, you, you just you just hope it doesn't happen. And, and 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 maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. Because again, he he knows his guys. And Dalton Connect was, was on a 12-win team in Northern Colorado last season. So this is he's probably in high cotton right now, man. He's probably loving this. So yeah, he'll probably have a good attitude about it. Quickly before we get out of here with those freshmen, Ben, I just worry how much either one of them is going to play because um with him and with Dillion and Carr, because I think they're they're really talented kids. But Tennessee's got a lot of options in the backcourt, and uh, Jai Maschak is in Rick's circle of trust, and he should be. And he's not going to not play, and he needs to play. He's so good defensively. He's such a good sign kind of facilitator, you know. And, and so is so is Josiah Jordan James. They're both kind of unselfish team guys. Understand everything on both ends of the floor. Understand the spacing. They get after you. They, they're not going to not play. And, and, and so I just wonder what those freshmen are going to have to do. And, and if they get into a situation where they try to be Superman with a couple minutes that they do get, they're not going to get where they want to go quick. They're not going to get minutes by trying to be Superman in those couple minutes. They just need to consistently get better. And eventually kind of like a boa constrictor kind of, suffocate the older guys and get some minutes. Like, they can't go out there and try to be Superman because that's not going to fly. That's not going to – they're going to try to do too much like kids do, and they're not going to – they're, they're going to make mistakes. So they just need to keep playing hard, wait for their time. Uh, but not, not wait, like, passively. Like, go out there and earn it, work. But, like, mentally in the back of your mind, understand that you're, it's going to take you some time to earn this.
0: Yeah, and I, I think Tennessee's going to have a hard time keeping Cam Carr – off the court too. I know there's only two hundred minutes in a in a game as Rick pointed out Tuesday night after Lenore Ryan and there is a ton of depth, but I say that to make the point that Cam Carr has been that impressive this summer. He he has been very, very, very good. Uh up until he he suffered a concussion and, and had to miss ten days or so and, and that kind of set him back and and he's still working back from that. But up until that point like he was giving those older guys who played great defense, he he was giving them issues offensively and, and giving them buckets. So even though he's a young guy, there's a ton of depth, a ton of talent, he, he may force Tennessee's hand, and it's going to be real difficult uh, for, for them to keep him off the court. There's no doubt about that, and uh, he is certainly somebody that uh, it'll be fun to watch him as a sophomore because I can see him playing a, a reserve role of sorts this season maybe having a couple of moments here and there, and then he goes out and has a great offseason and, and comes back and is just phenomenal as a sophomore. He has been very, very impressive offensively. Uh, it's far ahead of, of where they expected him to be when he arrived on campus. Uh, Wes, busy week, busy podcast. Greatly appreciate your thoughts and insight on everything Tennessee football and Tennessee basketball.
1: There's that button, and now I can say, Answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is again less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free, you get new movies, you get classic movies. That rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That, that is so much stuff, so much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.